Locked On Bruins, your daily podcast on the Boston Bruins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, Bruins fans, and welcome back to the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast. I'm your host, Ian McLaren, and this is a daily show where we discuss all things spoke to be, as well as take a look around the NHL. Today is Friday, September 10th. And this episode is brought to you by the Locked On NHL's Top 50 Countdown. Check out the Locked On NHL podcast today on YouTube or wherever you get podcasts and find out who are the top 10 players in the NHL according to our local experts. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by a very special guest. Those of you who have been listening for a while, you may recall that I have a background in religious studies, theology, and uh, have talked on the podcast a few times about uh, matters of faith as it pertains to hockey with uh, Dave Ripper, uh, Team Chaplin in the past, uh, Emily Cave came on and, and mentioned her faith and how that helped her through the tragic death of her husband Colby, uh, Adam McQuaid talked about it a bit as well. And today we are talking to Sarah Bessie, she's a New York Times bestselling author, She's someone I've followed on social media for quite a while now. I've read all her books multiple times, and uh, she's also a lifelong Bruins fan. So I thought I would uh, reach out and, and see if she'd be willing to come on the podcast. And lo and behold, uh, she agreed to chat. So I am very happy to bring you that conversation here in a moment. Before we get to that, quick reminder that... Beginning September 20th, we're going back to daily podcasts, so please do smash that subscribe button so that each new episode will be automatically added to your feed. If you could also rate and review, that would be very much appreciated. If you are on Twitter or Instagram, you can find the podcast at LockedNHLBruins, and you can find me, my hockey tweets, and dad jokes at Ian. C. McLaren. Uh, later on in the podcast, we're also going to talk about David Backus's retirement and the statement that he released and how he spoke about his time with the Bruins. But before we get to that, here is my conversation with Sarah Bessie, which I hope you very much enjoy. All right. Well, I am so uh, thrilled to be joined today on the podcast uh, by Sarah Bessie. She is the author of best-selling and critically acclaimed books uh, like Jesus Feminist, Out of Sorts, Making Peace with an Evolving Faith, uh, Miracles and Other Reasonable Things. And her new collaborative book is a New York Times uh, bestseller. It's called A Book, uh, sorry, A Rhythm of Prayer, A Collection of Meditations for Renewal. Uh, now, Listeners may know my background is in uh, religious studies, theology, so I've been a huge fan of Sarah's work uh, for some time, uh, but it wasn't until reading her book, Out of Sorts, that I learned that she, like me, is a uh, lifelong Bruins fan, and I uh, have been wanting to reach out and, and see if she'd be willing to join the podcast, and uh, here she is. So thank you so much, Sarah, for, for taking some time to chat. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for inviting me. No problem at all. So, yeah, I guess we'll start there. Uh, you mentioned, I believe it was at the beginning of, of one of your chapters in, in Out of Sorts, where you mentioned the possibility of perhaps moving to uh, New York or Boston, and you dropped that you were a lifelong Bruins fan in there. And I uh, I remember starring it and underlining it and saying, wow, I, I was already a, a huge <laughs> fan of Sarah Bessie. And now, Another thing in common, how did you become a Bruins fan? Let's start there. 
<laughs> Thank you. I actually, I think I usually in almost every one of my books includes some joke at the expense of the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. Nice. So I'm sure that that's in there somewhere too. Um, it does surprise people to know I'm a Bruins fan because I'm a Canadian Prairie kid. Um, but the Bruins have been our family tradition since, I mean, you know, Canadian kids, uh, back when the original six was kind of it, right. Which I think was around mm -hmm. until about 67, um, you either liked the Leafs or the Canadiens, but my dad was, you know, barely a teenager when Bobby Orr hit the Bruins. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, love at first game, right. He became just devoted to the Bruins in the mid sixties. And so he raised my sister and I, you know, in the, you know, family tradition of loving and, and being completely loyal to the Bruins over and above everyone else. And now, of course, we're, you know, we're carrying that legacy on with the kids. Uh, my sister and I have six mm -hmm. kids between us and they all cheer for the bees. So we're like three generations deep on this thing. And nice. I think it would be nice someday to be able to watch them actually play in Boston. Um, <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> instead of always being in the minority in the uh, arena, like my parents did this big pilgrimage um, in their mid sixties to finally go to Boston and watch, they watched two games in like three nights. Oh, very cool. And of course, we'd only ever been like the outlier fans, right? So when they would come and play the Calgary Flames or, you know, when we lived in Winnipeg for a few years in the 80s, we saw them play the Jets and uh, the Canucks when we lived in BC, which, you know, of course, you know, 2011 Cup run was, you know, yes. pretty, pretty great for us in particular, yeah, yeah. <laughs> being in BC. you know, people will chirp at you all the time, right? In your Bruins gear. Sure. Um, and so that was like the first time that they got to be part of the fan base in Boston and nobody was giving my mom my lovely, wonderful, gentle mom grief for her Marchand jersey. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, she made, she made like a scrapbook out of it. There's still text. They're still texting with the people who sat next to them, like, oh, cause they amazing. made friends. And so it was definitely a once in a lifetime kind of joy. Very cool. <laughs> that is almost exactly my Bruins origin story as well. I grew up in Ontario and my dad, he moved over from Scotland when he was, when he was a young boy and yeah, growing up in, in Trenton, Ontario, uh, just a stone's throw from Oshawa became a, a Bobby Orphan and my grandmother as well would sit down and watch all the games. I think that's a pretty common thing for Bruins fans in Canada is that, yeah, having your parents having fallen in love with Bobby Orr and kind of passing that down. My boys, not quite as on board quite yet. They, one of them likes to, you know, annoy me and say he's a Maple Leafs fan or uh, <laughs> others not quite as into it, but they're getting there. They're getting there for sure. Actually, why our oldest, you mentioned the, the 2011 cup run when, uh, when they won Rich Peverly is from uh, the town that we live in Guelph and he brought the Stanley cup to to the local junior arena. So I got to dress our then one-year-old up in a Bruins jersey and take him to see the cup, which was which was pretty fun. So yeah, I think that Bobby Orr origin story is pretty common among uh, among us Canadians for sure. Yeah, absolutely, that's our lore. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, now you mentioned 2011. I don't know where that ranks in terms of your kind of all-time favorite Bruins moments or memories. Uh, I would imagine it's pretty high, but are, are there any other uh, moments that, that pop up as, as uh, memorable for you? Well, you know, I came of age and I was a teenager in the nineties. And so I'm mm. probably always going to have a pretty soft spot for Cam Neely. Yes. Right? He yes. was so exciting <laughs> to language. watch, yep. right? My sister and I definitely had his picture cut out of the hockey magazines on our bedroom wall, right? <laughs> <So> <laughs> Very he, nice. 
you know, he could score, but he was really tough. And uh, yeah, so we always really loved Cam Neely. Um, and I mentioned, you know, of course, the, the, the 2011 Cup run was really great. But um, I think the that moment um, and that run, that championship run in particular was really, I don't know, I felt very emblematic of the Bruins for me because it, they were a team that nobody was really betting on. Mm-hmm. But they were really gritty and they were really tough and they just, you know, never quit. And so, you know, of course we were living in BC and, you know, land of the Canucks. So it could be pretty, you know, tense sometimes. Our son Joe was like three at the time. And I remember him in like his little Bruins Jersey, just cheering with all of his heart at the TV. Like he literally slept in that Jersey for years, like wore it constantly. And so, yeah, we definitely like, there were tears when they won (laughs) that one. And so, you know, of course Vancouver burned down the city. So that wasn't great, (laughs) but you know, it was, the wind was really beautiful. So that moment, I think will always live in my heart of, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of coming together. Um, And then, you know, we are, we're in Calgary now. Um, Calgary's kind of hometown Mm -hmm. for me. And so we always kind of had them as our West team. And so it, there was something really fun for me when I got to see Jerome McGinley in a Bruins jersey. Yep. Right. We really loved him. Really wish he would have won a cup with them, but that was, that was kind of a fun moment too. Yeah. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football season is now underway, and you can get in on their biggest half-million-dollar mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 100% welcome bonus. From hockey, football, basketball, baseball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait. Take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season at BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I also want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. DirectStream brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. The best part, there's no annual contract, so stop waiting and get your TV together with DirectStream. Learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. And now Milan Lucic wearing a, a Flames jersey, which is still, still hard to wrap my head around. But it is. Yeah. At least I'll yeah, get to I, see him more often. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I really have a, a, a soft spot for him. Like when uh, COVID happened and they did that 2011 Zoom reunion of the cup team, just seeing mm. how sentimental he was and how yeah big of a emotional spark he was for that team. I really had a newfound totally. appreciation for him. And yeah, I can totally relate with like Cam Neely was my favorite player growing up. The only Jersey I've ever owned was, is a Cam Neely Jersey. And um, my sister, she was a huge Oilers fan growing up. So in, <laughs> in 1990, when they played in the cup final, I, I really dug into my Bruins fandom just to be that, <laughs> that annoying little brother. And that, uh, that really stuck as well. Although that was a pretty heartbreaking loss there then as well. I really wish that, Neely and Bork team had, had been able to get over the hump for sure. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, I was, I mean, especially because, um, you know, being in the prairies in the eighties when mm-hmm. Wayne Gretzky was like really dominant, like that was yeah. maintaining our loyalty to the Bruins took a lot of courage <laughs> yeah, and fealty. Sure. So. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. Now in terms of kind of the current team, are there any, uh, any guys that, that stand out as, kind of beloved Bruins of this era. I talked on my podcast uh, yesterday about 
Patrice Bergeron and his time mm-hmm. coming to an end. That that name always pops out. But are there any other guys that uh, that stand out for you from the current group? I don't know. I love them all. Right. They're just such good <laughs> yeah. guys. Like I can't even, I can't even talk about Bergeron leaving. Yeah. You know, Pasternak, I just think, you know, I don't know, just have a real tender spot, but I always will probably lean towards uh, Brad Marchand because he's just, mm. he has the best heart and yet he's such a little pest. Yeah. And I just love him <laughs> so much. <laughs> they're such a good team. They're fun to watch and they're good mm. guys. And that of course is, is, you know, a, a big draw for me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I had an opportunity last summer to speak with uh, the Bruins team chaplain. Actually, his name is Dave Ripper. He's based in New Hampshire. And yeah, you people kind of look at the Bruins and see them as, uh, you know, well, many different emotions that people have towards the Bruins. But he really, <laughs> he really showed me, Dave did, about, you know, behind the scenes, the the real faith that exists among many of the Boston Bruins. I know uh, Brandon Carlo specifically, he's a huge, uh, a huge man of faith. Uh, Adam McQuaid, who I spoke to mm-hmm. as well. Um, David Backus, who, who just announced his retirement. He was really big in galvanizing some players and starting a, a Bible study. And I know that really helped a lot of them get through uh, the Colby cave, uh, tragic mm. situation that happened last year. Um, mm. and that really, yeah, I never really thought too much about, um, faith and hockey as much. Uh, one, uh, instance that really brought it home to me was, uh, I don't know if you've read the book bear town by, uh, Frederick Bachman. Uh, yes. he wrote, that was uh, a good book. yes, it's probably one of my favorite books and it really, spoke to me in terms of, you know, the underlying issues around the game of hockey. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it can be pretty toxic, even just with my boys playing um, not even competitive hockey, just the the toxicity that's around it, racism, homophobia, you know, abuse scandals that that we've seen recently in the summer. Um, How do you as a, uh, a person of faith kind of reconcile all that with being a fan of the game? Is it something that is maybe compartmentalized or is it just something that, you know, is, is a reality in all spheres of life and we just try to do our best with it. Um, I'd love to hear your kind of perspective on that. Mm. You know, that's a really, really thoughtful and important question. I think, I mean, very similarly, my cousins, I remember having these conversations with them when they're, uh, kids were really little about the the real choice not to put their kids in hockey mm. because because of these very things right and that was of course you know 10 15 20 years ago uh, before the conversation had kind of progressed to where it is now where there's a lot a lot more openness and I mean there's probably a little bit of you know what you mentioned there of just like you know hockey's not unique mm-hmm. in this right there's right. I mean you can you can look at a lot of different sports you can look at the church right? In terms of racism and homophobia and misogyny and abuse scandals. So it's not like, you know, people of faith necessarily have, (laughs) you know, a leg to stand on here, but, and it can definitely be, you know, super gross, right? And so Mm -hmm. those revelations, um, their realities, they have been for a long time. And uh, we've seen that in a lot of the stories that, you know, our heroes from the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s are now finally being able to speak out loud and talk openly about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, 
I often joke, um, well, this is maybe not a joke, but I often say that, you know, it was following Jesus that made a feminist enemy. Mm. And, you know, I could say that about a lot of those things, right? Mm -hmm. It was uh, my faith that has led me to care about and want to dismantle um, and confront uh, and disrupt those, um, you know, for I'm, I'm from a more of a Pentecostal tradition. So I'm going to drop <laughs> yeah. words like powers and principalities, <laughs> right, right? right? You know, they gives me some language and some courage mm -hmm. to name the truth because um, I don't know, like one, one big thing for me about faith uh, and in particular about following Jesus that it's taught me is that there's a huge difference between being a peacekeeper, peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Mm. And I think that that's the invitation right now in the NHL. Um, you know, we can confuse, you know, calm or the absence of conflict or silence um, over these issues. We can confuse that for peace. And we think mm. that if people were just like nicer, you know, especially as Canadians mm, right. do, who are more polite, you know, or kept yeah. their secrets that like, you know, somehow things would stop being so terrible. And so for too long, we've acted like avoiding things and hoping they go away as a strategy, right? Mm. And that's not peacemaking, right? Peacekeeping will keep things at status quo and it benefits who it's always benefited. It's going to cooperate with that kind of oppression. So the peacemaking invitation to me is really active and embodied because then you're not content with those tokens or pats on the head and nice language and, um, you know, saying the right things, but not actually making any, you know, meaningful change. And so I think that, you know, kind of that is maybe the invitation mm -hmm. for people, not just for people of faith, for everyone who is connected with any um, institution or any organization, you know, to participate in actually being peacemakers, right? Because mm -hmm. it's one thing to sing, sing our anthems and watch the games and, you know, talk about the lore and the nostalgia that we always love, right? And, you know, wish really hard that racism and systemic injustice and patriarchy would go away. But, you know, this other thing to believe that that um, telling the truth, right, to name things what they are, and then to be about that work of God and, and disrupting and dismantling and liberating, like that's the work of peacemakers, right? Yeah. yeah and sure. so, you know, in a lot of ways, things that have been hidden in the darkness are being dragged kicking and screaming into the light, and it's going to be disruptive. And I think you can praise God for that. Yeah, something's sure. going to be disrupted. I think about uh, like last summer with, with Black Lives Matter and kind of creeping into the hockey world, you know, the NHL would release statements and not really say Black Lives Matter. But then a guy like uh, then still Captain Zdeno Chara kind of actively participating in a Black Lives Matter march in Boston. I thought that um, spoke volumes, not only because, you know, he stood out with his size, but just the fact that he was willing to, yeah, actively walk with with people and to make mm -hmm. his presence felt. I think that that was a good example for sure. Yeah, it's leadership, right? It's leadership yeah, and, peace, and peacemaking. It's embodied, it's active. It's, you know, there's a, a million ways where we can, you know, um, you know, apply that or have that connection there. But I think that the NHL has been pretty slow to, to being active and embodied <laughs> yeah. on a lot of these things. And so that's, you know, a big part of it as well. Sorry, that was yeah. my phone going off. Oh, no worries. Um, I have the Hockey Night in Canada theme song, as you could okay. hear. So. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, just a couple more things before I let you go. I know uh, another thing we shared in this past uh, playoffs was kind of a, a rooting interest in the Montreal Canadiens. That was something that I got some flack for as a Bruins fan. But I am just a sucker for like good stories, rooting for people that 
seem genuine that you want to root for like Nick Suzuki in this case, mm-hmm. Cole Caulfield, guys like that. Um, are those stories something that draws you to the game as well? I'm sure kind of as, as a writer, maybe that's something that stands out just those positive stories and positive rooting interests that, that draw you to the game as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember, I think you and I were like even having a conversation about that during yeah. the, the final series, because I was like, I have been raised to loathe the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. Like yeah. never, never yeah. any warmth in my heart did not matter who their stars were or how mm-hmm. dominant or low they were. And then for some reason, watching that young little team, mm-hmm. I had such warmth in my heart <laughs> for them. I just could not get over it. I, I just know. was like, their stories were very compelling and their people. And I mean, especially I've just have such a, I don't know, ingrained thing about the underdog. And mm-hmm. so yeah. I was like, all right, Same. I'm going to give myself, I'm going to let myself love this story. And then when it ends, I'm going to go back to hating you all. Yeah, I'm back there, I think, now now that they're back yeah, in the me same too. division. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was maybe yeah, part of sure. it too, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, even you having a Canadian team in the exactly, final, yeah. for, you know, all those different dynamics where it's just yep. like, oh, my competing loyalties. <laughs> yes. But it was, now, I think it was definitely a once, once thing and probably never again, yes. but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market, and you can celebrate the freedom of choice by choosing between their nine delicious flavors. There's coconut, cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, and German chocolate. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mixed box where you will get two of each of the nine, or if you do have a favorite, just go ahead, buy 18 of the one flavor. They're not only great tasting, but they're also healthy too. You can get 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, about 4 to 5 grams of sugar, 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. All great tasting and good for you. And if you're celiac like I am or have a gluten sensitivity, there are gluten-free bars for you to choose from. Order today and get the Grasshopper Cookie, Special Edition, or Raspberry, or whatever you like by going to Built.com using promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Did you know that 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose? It's not really that surprising because the game is rigged against you. You're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention experts, who may have more tools and more time. Introducing Stat Hero, the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and winning within reach. Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head to head fantasy matchup. Nobody else does that. Go to stathero.com slash locked on, sign up for free, and right now you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving you a 300% match. That's unheard of. Go to stathero.com slash locked on. That's stathero.com slash locked on. Before, uh, before I let you go, I like to ask people who come on uh, kind of uh, if they have any show recommendations any book recommendations i know you're a big uh schitt's creek fan my, my wife and i have actually watched a couple episodes over the last couple of nights compelling me to probably dive back deep and watch it once more is there anything lately that you've been uh watching or, or reading that uh you want uh, people to to know about 
Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, definitely Schitt's Creek is up there mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Um, especially those last, I mean, the whole show is great, yeah. but that, that last, you know, two or three seasons is, is really, you know, something special. And yeah, for sure. Um, my husband and I are just huge fans of Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. Like the language is so bad. And yet I just love yes. them all with my <laughs> <Yeah>. whole heart. <laughs> so yeah, same. I feel like the world is like this burning dumpster fire and I'm just standing in the, in the, uh, chaos shouting, watch Ted Lasso, like it's going to yes. fix something. Yeah, <laughs> and definitely. so, you know, that's one that I've, it's on Apple TV. If anyone's mm-hmm. going to, if they have they're like the only people in the world, probably who haven't watched <laughs> it yet. You know, I'm a slobbering fangirl for Doctor Who and for Call the Midwife. And as I'm saying all this out loud, I'm realizing that almost all of these shows share a really earnest sincerity mm-hmm. and a really deep belief about the goodness of people. <laughs> so I think, you know, definitely my tastes lean towards, I I like when I'm watching a show and at the end of it, I feel like I like people again. Mm-hmm. And so those, those are ones um, that I've really enjoyed. I, in terms of books, um, you know, the last couple that I haven't been able to shut up about lately um, was the first one is uh, Jesus and John Wayne. Yes, I have that on uh, by Kristen the library. I'm, I'm excited to read that. Yeah. Listen, I think I will be recommending that book for years <laughs> yeah. um, because it's super, you know, infuriating and informative and clarifying. Um, so if anyone's spent any any amount of time in an American influenced evangelical space, it'll feel a little bit like drinking from a fire hose. And so she, she connects all these lines and these names and these moments that were not only shaping the States, but I think a lot of us whose faith was kind of influenced by their mm-hmm. version of faith, um, you know, around the rise of Christian nationalism and toxic masculinity right. and extreme militarism. And it's like, anyway, I definitely wanted to throw the book across the room a few times, hey. but it's really <laughs> compulsively readable. Yeah. So good luck to you when you go yeah, pick I'm it up from the library. Yep. <laughs> But yeah. Oh, and the other one was um, called, uh, given our, I guess, our conversation earlier about um, some of the, you know, wanting to dismantle some of these Mm. aspects of racism and, um, you know, the the struggles within the NHL in particular and peacekeeping. Um, Oshita Moore has Mm. written a book this past year called Dear White Peacemakers, Dear White Peacemakers. And it's this invitation to peacemaking that's focused on dismantling racism from a black woman written to white people. Um, And it has such clarity and compassion and invitation. It is just like a fantastic, fantastic book. I found, I'll I'll be talking about that one probably for a long time. Yeah, it's really good. Perfect. Well, uh, Sarah, uh, where can people find, uh, first of all, are you working on a new book at the moment or? No, not at the moment, actually. I'm just kind of catching my breath. We just moved from BC to Alberta. And so I'm trying to work on a few other projects. We've got um, the Evolving Faith Community um, that I co-lead and we're doing some work behind the scenes for a new gathering, hopefully in 2022 (laughs) and a few things there. But um, yeah, just kind of like everybody else trying to, I guess, keep our heads above water right now. Very cool. And if people want to find, uh, find your older books or find you on social media, where can they, where can they do so? Um, just at Sarah Bessie, pretty much everywhere, Twitter, Perfect. Instagram, Facebook, and sarahbessie.com. You'll find links there for all my books, um, for evolving faith, for my newsletter, you know, all the things. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for, for taking some time. And I'm looking forward to uh, a new season getting underway and, uh, rooting for the bees on, uh, on social media. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for taking some time and, and hopefully we can chat again uh, down the road. 
Sounds good. Thanks so much for the invitation. I appreciate no it. No problem. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. Another big thank you to Sarah Bessie for, for being willing to jump on the podcast and chat. I do highly recommend uh, following her on social media, all of her books. Uh, they've had a great impact on uh, both me and my wife over the years, and we are big Sarah Bessie fans for sure. I wanted to end the podcast just talking quickly about David Backus and his uh, one-day contract with the St. Louis Blues so that he could retire with the team that he captained uh, for so many years before joining the Bruins. In the letter that he penned on the Blues website, he did mention his time in Boston, which I just wanted to quickly read. He wrote, My stretch in Boston is something I'm grateful for. It was an amazing group of men that I was able to play with and grow alongside of. Arriving there and being a complimentary piece to the great core that had been there since they won the Stanley Cup in 2011 was an incredible learning experience for me. I learned about leading from the rear and was able to pour into teammates in ways I had never been able to do before. Our remarkable march to the Stanley Cup Final in 2019 was filled with some of the highest highs and lowest lows I have experienced in the game, but I am appreciative of all of them. I never thought I would so intimately live the words I said when leaving St. Louis. If the team I was playing on wasn't going to win the Stanley Cup, I hope it would be the Blues. I found in the latter parts of my time in Boston that you can take something you would never ask for, like being a healthy scratch, and turn it into something good. It was a humbling lesson learned through sport that will permeate through life. Now I know that David Backus in 2019 was not the David Backus that, uh, you know, charged through the NHL as a power forward during his time with the Blues, but I will forever wonder myself what would have happened had he been placed in Game 7. I know Carson Kuhlman was coming in hot after scoring in Game 6, but the emotional boost, you know, you can look at analytics, you can look at player cards, but the emotional boost that would come from a guy playing in a Game 7 against his old team just cannot be uh, cannot be measured, really. And, and I can't imagine having been in his shoes being a healthy scratch for that game, watching the team you're playing for lose to the team that you know you made most of your career with, um, I think that was perhaps a, an oversight by Bruce Cassidy there. Uh, like I mentioned in my chat with Sarah, David Backus had a great effect on the Bruins off the ice. I know that for a fact that he was very instrumental um, in, you know, bringing guys together to, yeah, just have a support system. He was obviously instrumental in uh, the life of Colby Cave as tip of, or exemplified by the fact that he spoke at his memorial service in Edmonton. Um, you know, Brandon Carlo, Trent Frederick, uh, a lot of guys have posted on Instagram just saying how much they appreciated Bacchus's time. Uh, I think he, yeah, really helped a lot of these guys grow uh, as people and as hockey players. And uh, I truly wish that he had been able to win a cup with uh, the Boston Bruins. And, and we wish him well. I'm sure, like Adam McQuaid, perhaps he'll have uh, a role, if he wants to, in hockey, in player development, or coaching at some point. That is it for today's episode of Locked On Boston Bruins. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Sarah. And uh, we will be back next week to discuss all things black and gold as we look forward to training camp 
and uh, the Prospects Challenge, which is taking place in Buffalo next weekend. Hope you all do have a great weekend. Get out and enjoy the the fall weather. I'm sure a bunch of you will be watching uh, the Patriots, the Red Sox, and uh, I'll be watching the Blue Jays play the Orioles in the hopes that they can uh, pass the Yankees and bump them out of a playoff spot as well. I think that's something we can all uh, agree upon here on the Locked On Bruins podcast. All right, friends, have a good one, and we'll talk to you again next week.